so we see here, Naaman was a commander of an army, of a king. He was a great man in the eyes of his king. He was highly regarded. He had, uh, he had many victories. He was a valiant soldier. But he had leprosy. It's his, it's his tragic flaw that brings him down. He had everything else, right? Even, um, even the king of a powerful nation, Aram, holds him in this high esteem, yet he's got leprosy. Leprosy is um, a word in Bible times that would describe any number of uh, skin diseases. It would be seen, anybody with leprosy would be seen as a cursed person. It would be seen as an unclean person. If, if not for his status that he already had, this would have, uh, for Naaman, he would have had no, uh, no opportunity, immediately shunned and, and treated like an outcast. And, and I would argue that sooner or later, everybody has this type of experience. Uh, kind of what Naaman had here. You know, you try to try so hard to orchestrate your life and um, you, you set your goals, you achieve your goals in life and, and everything is, is the best that you're, you're trying to do and then one thing comes in and just wrecks all your plans. It, it could be... It could be like, like name, and maybe it's a, a diagnosis or a disease that comes in, and everything that you had thought your life would be like is all just changed all at once. Or maybe it's a, um, some kind of a loss, a financial disaster, or a relationship that gets broken, or some sort of conflict in your life. Um, whatever the problem is, it's that experience of you know, whatever I thought was good and well-planned and orchestrated is now not changed. And maybe it's not maybe it's maybe it's not something that happens to you either. Maybe it's something that's happening in you. You know, you're trying to go along your life, but there's something inside. There's a severe anxiety that is keeping you from being able to live this life that you envisioned for yourself. Or there's a severe depression that keeps you from living what you think is a normal life or you are have such anger or if it's an addiction or something inside so whether it's something that happens to you or something that's happening in you these things come in and they just wreck they they can wreck life and um, when we realize for any of us when i realize my big flaw the question becomes you know what can I do with this? How do I overcome my fatal flaw? Am I good enough? You know, am I strong enough? Do I have the inner resources to, to dig deep? And, and do I have the power within me to take this flaw and somehow turn it into something positive or to, to get over that hurdle? And can, can I overcome this thing? And so today we're going to see Naaman and his, his, his big problem here, his fatal flaw is this leprosy, this skin condition. And um, through his journey to find a cure for this, he learns, and we're going to see, that his biggest problem was not leprosy. That was not his, his biggest flaw. He had a bigger problem. And he had a nearly impossible situation, and he finds the ultimate cure that he really needed all along. He didn't even realize he needed it. So we're going to explore that today. A little shift in our... our uh, sermon series. Oh, and as you're following along, the, this is one of those things. You have a, a bulletin that's perfect with beautiful graphics, and there's, 
information about wonderful people who are doing beautiful things for the kingdom of God. And then you get the last week's scripture. And you can't feed it back into the machine. And you can't take the words off the page. That's how sermon illustrations are born. This is how this works. Okay. Um, but a little shift. So over the past number of weeks, we've been looking at a nation of people. We're looking at the, the kings of old and, and the, the book of, of the kings in the Old Testament. And we've been seeing a lot of stories of failure, of people wandering from their faith, from turning from the covenant of, that God made with his people. And here we have an outsider who's actually uh, turning his faith towards God. So we have a, a, a beautiful story, sort of a little respite for us to understand how is it that people... Um, Come to faith in God. And we need this. Every one of us needs what he found here. But not just for us, but for perhaps this week, for people you know in your life. They need God. And you know they need God. And they have perhaps the same barriers in their life as Naaman had. So this message is for you. But it may not be, God may use this for others in your life as well as we understand how it is people come to faith. So let's, let's pray together as we jump into this. So, Father God, we, we pray, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to show us through your word today, that it would go deep by the power of your spirit that we would hear it, what you have for us, what you have for us to bring to someone else in our lives, Lord. Whether it's somebody we, we work with or someone in our family or someone we love, Lord, what, what you have for us and for others that we would take it and, and use it. So I pray, Lord, that we would understand your heart and understand our own and that you do your good work. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So I want to look at Naaman's real problem here and then the Naaman's real solution here and what that points us to. So first of all, his problem, it's bigger than leprosy. His problem is self-reliance, self-sufficiency. And the, the writer, the, the author of, of Kings, or at least this part of Kings, goes out of his way to remind us here in verse 1 that no matter what Naaman thought of his successes in life, and no matter what the king of Aram or anyone else thought of Naaman, that it was the Lord God, the one true God, that allowed him to have these victories, that allowed him to have these successes in his life. And uh, this is a key first step. There is anybody who is uh, going along life and doing well, they can either say, hey, I've, I've worked hard for this. I've, I've overcome. I've, 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 you know, I'm, I'm gifted. I've, I've worked hard. I earned all this. And then there are those who say, you know, God gave me everything I have. You know that it's by God's grace that I have the mind that I have or that I was born where I was born and my parents raised me a certain way or I was able to receive an education. If I had been born in other places in the world or into other families, I may not have had the opportunities I have. And God has given me everything I have, even what I see as my own hard work. God has given me the ability to work hard and given me the mind to do that and giving him the glory. But, he, but we, that's a, a key first step to remember. This is all about God's grace. And a point of realization has to come for any self-reliant person, any, any self-sufficient person, that even with all of my resources in life, even with all the things that I have, I can't fix every problem. And, and you just have to get to the end of yourself and see something that's just beyond me. This situation is beyond me. I cannot solve it. 
Naaman had connections. He was connected to top people. The king of Aram, or we, you know, Syria. The king of Syria. He's got... Uh, he's, he's connected and held his team. He had money. He had a lot of money. And he had skills to, to gain victory. He had all these resources. But he's at the end of his rope. None of those things can cure his leprosy. But then he hears news. That there in Israel, there's a prophet. And perhaps that this prophet can... Uh, bring healing. So how does Naaman approach this, this thing? He doesn't go to the prophet. He goes to the king. Why? Because he's got connections. He goes with a letter in his hand from his king to the king of Israel saying, hey, this guy's with me. He needs help. And, you know, using your connections. And he brings with him a, a lot of um, Money and he, he's ready to, to do something great. And so he's got this letter, but it's not enough. So his, Naaman's first clue to, to realizing that his connections aren't going to get him there is he hands this letter to the king, tears his clothes and says, Am I God? Who do you think I am? Who does your king... Your king's trying to mess with me. He's trying to start another war. Here goes Israel and, and, and Aram again. Here we go. Uh, in Israel, the prophets don't work for the king. The prophets aren't just a bunch of yes-men who are trying to give good predictions and good omens to the king. They work for the God, the, the true God. You know, true, God's healing for something like leprosy can't be bought. You can't earn it. The king can't conjure it up. So Naaman had to learn that whatever he had, whatever, whatever he relied on to be sufficient and successful was never going to be enough. That self-sufficiency, and for all of us, self-sufficiency is a, is a lie. It is an illusion. It is just a vapor. And we can hold it together for a long time, but then there comes a point, it's all gone. And when you realize that, then you're, you've realized your problem, and you're very close to faith. You're very close to faith at that point. And Naaman is very close to the solution. So what is Naaman's ultimate solution? His solution is God's grace. His biggest problem is his self-reliance. His biggest need is the grace of God. And here's the thing with grace. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. And this is what is unique about the grace of God. This is the good news, the gospel of God, is that he freely gives it. And it's unique to, to, the, it's, it's unique to the Christian faith that the God of the universe reaches out with his grace to his people to heal and to save. And other philosophies and religious systems is all about the, the rituals I do, the routines I do, the what I accomplish, how I earn God's favor. And the God of the universe says, you can't earn my favor, you can't buy it. There is nothing you can do. Only I can provide it for you. But it requires a change of the heart. It requires a turning, a repentance, a turning from I'm trusting my own strength and my own resources that realizing... They're not going to make it. And then turning to the God of the universe who can actually bring true healing. It doesn't happen immediately for Naaman. It doesn't happen right away. He, he leaves the king, so he's got his first clue that this is not going to uh, work. In verse 9, it says, Naaman went uh, with his horses and his chariots, right? So he's got a lot of his stuff with him. And he stops at the door of Elisha's house. And he's, he's, he's going to see this prophet. And Elisha sent a messenger to him to say, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. 
But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hands over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. This is how Naaman believes life. This is how Naaman believes that life works. I have status. I go to a powerful prophet. He comes to me. But, but Naaman doesn't get the prophet. What does he get? He gets a messenger. He gets, he gets a helper. He gets a servant. And Naaman, this is how he thinks things work. He, Naaman accomplishes great things, and it pleases his superior. It pleases the king of Aram. And this is, um, you use your skill. So he's thinking this prophet of God is going to use his skill, going to use his magic. He's a powerful prophet, and he's going to wave his hands and conjure up whatever, and I'm going to be healed. But that's not how it works. The prophets, are God, the prophets of God are not um, just using their powers however they want. They're just being obedient to the God of the universe. It's not theirs to use. It's theirs to be obedient, to bring God's word primarily and bring signs that accompany that word. It's not about just shooting off you know, magical with the wand. It's, this is a wand. It's not, it's, 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 he's, he's got it all wrong. The instructions that he gets from a servant is to go into the Jordan River and just wash. Do a ceremonial washing, Naaman. This is something that anybody could do. Powerful Naaman, any, any person could step into the Jordan River and wash themselves. And it's a dirty little river. You know, this, is, this is a guy who is... It, the rivers in Syria are gorgeous. Clean water. You want me to go into your little dirty river? And wash, you know, I'm a, I've got a big problem here. I need a big act, you know, there's a big to-do here. And he gets this private little ritual and he starts to go away mad. This time, it's Naaman's servants, they step up. And in, in verse 13, they say, they, they turn to Naaman, they say, um, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more when he tells you just wash and be cleansed? It, one pastor say once, he said, you know, it's as if Naaman is expecting that uh, the king of Israel is going to say, or Elisha the prophet is going to say to him, bring me the broomstick of the wicked witch of the West and I will... And he was ready. He had his chariots, he had his horses, he had money, he had all this stuff. And he wasn't asked to accomplish some great thing. He was just asked to just be cleansed, to just wash and be cleansed. People do approach God this way. And if we are honest with ourselves, perhaps, perhaps you may have approached God this way where you have a big need. And um, you, you just say, you know, God, I'll do anything for you, I'll, 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 get back, I'll get back to church and I'll be generous. I'll read my Bible every day and I'll pray. I'll do whatever. And we, we just do these things for God and hoping that somehow we can earn his favor. But God looks at every single one of us and he, he himself is holy. And we are all sinful. And we can't unsinful ourselves. You can't. 
you, you, you can't undo it. You can't re-perfect yourself. God is holy and perfect and blameless and completely set apart and completely other. And we are tarnished. And we can't just untarnish unless the grace of God comes in. And it's hard to receive that grace because everything within us wants to fix it. Everything within us wants to earn it back. And God just simply says, just wash and be clean. That kind of grace makes you very humble. uh, I'd say look at verse 14. Trust me, trust me, verse 14 says, Naaman goes down and he dips himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God, as Elisha had told him, and his flesh was restored. It became clean like that of a young boy. Skin like a little boy. So you have this great man who has this great problem, but it's a little servant girl, a slave girl, who was kidnapped and in his home, who points him to the true God. And he then has to humble himself and get into this little dirty river. And then he became like a little boy. And then we think of the words of Jesus. When Jesus says that it's not going to be the wealthy and the proud people who see his kingdom. He said, you got to be like a little child. Matthew 18, Jesus calls a little child and he had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That's the key to faith. It's, it's, I, I, I don't have the status. I don't have the, the solution to fix this. I'm just like a little child, so helpless and just turning in faith to our loving God. Jesus said in Luke chapter 18, I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So God's grace makes us very humble. But God's grace also brings us to worship. The the last verse that was read for us in verse 15, Naaman then says, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Why this great worship? He went from his country, from Aram, to Israel, expecting to be healed. So when he's healed, why does he have this, this, this spectacular conversion of worship? Not that the God in Israel is very powerful, but there is no other God in all the world except this one God. The the big difference is that he realized that the power was not in the prophet. It wasn't this this powerful healer, but the the prophet who didn't even speak to him directly, uh, it was this very simple act done at a distance that it was the God of the universe who has the power to heal and to restore. The one God. A little bit of an, as an aside here. You know, people who, there, are, there are people who are gifted um, in, in healing. And there are times when peop, they, they get very popular. And there's people, and, and, and I, know, I know people even in this church, who've, who want to go and, and travel and to gather and to see these powerful healers. And they, 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 this person has a special gift and we, we want to go and I want to receive the healing from that person. And, and, and they can, these people travel around the country and they draw huge crowds. Um, you'll notice that they heal things that are kind of hard to... I, a lot of it's bogus. Most all of it is just completely bogus. Uh, because 
what happens is when, when a healer or some kind of prophet gathers a huge crowd, it's drawing attention to the prophet, not to the God who brings all gifting and all healing. And then the, in what's, you know, in Naaman is healed, what's his first reaction is what? Here's, please receive money from me. And the next verse, Elijah says, no, no, I will not receive money from this. But you could travel to go to one of these healer things, and if you say, please accept this gift, the healer will say, thank you very much. And, and even if you give more, there'll be more, you know, this, anyway. We, the point is, it's, it's not about the prophet, it's not about the healer, then or now, it is about the God of the universe. And then you experience the grace of that God, and you realize you could have never pay it back, and the response is worship. The response, generosity is a good response here, but not because Elisha did something so powerful, but because God is good. So the problem was the self-sufficiency. The solution is the free grace of God. And it points us to our greatest solution. It all points to Jesus. Notice throughout this account that the role of servant and the role of master kind of get flipped. You get this powerful man, but it's the little slave girl. You get Naaman angry, wandering off. It's his servants that... that um, tell him to, to, to be obedient. It's the, it's the messenger of Elisha. It's, it's, the, it's the servants who are the heroes here. And in the Gospel of John, we see Jesus with a great following, as known as a great teacher and a healer. He takes off his outer garment and he puts on a towel. He takes on the role of servant. And he washes his disciples' feet. And he said, I have to do this for you or you will not be clean. And you're going to understand what I really mean very soon. Because what he did is described in Philippians chapter 2. It was Jesus who, in his very nature, God, did not consider his equality with God something to use for his own advantage. He made himself nothing. And he took the form of servant. And in being found in human nature, he was obedient. Obedient even to death on a cross. Jesus accomplished what you never could. He died for you in your place that you could just, you could, he accomplished it, so you're just washed. You can just be washed. We sang it earlier. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood. You can do nothing but be washed. He's done it all. Titus chapter 3 says, When the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that having been justified with His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Your greatest problem of sin, your greatest, any problem you have, the greatest problem you'd ever have is death. And He said, now, through this washing, even eternal life. Two things to take with us from here. One, you need Jesus. We all need Jesus. If, if you do not experience the grace of Jesus, then you'll always be flipping back and forth between the sacred and the secular. And I talk about this a lot, but this is what I mean. If, if God in your life is this, is, you know, it's, it's on the shelf, and when things are going good, it just kind of stays on the shelf, and you just do your life, you know, your, your secular, normal life. But then when things get bad, you pull it off the shelf, and you say, okay, God, I'm back in it, I'm sorry, I'll do, what, what do you need me to do? That is, that, 
demonstrates that the grace of God has not come into the life. It's Naaman... His, he, his greatest need wasn't that he would be cured of his leprosy. His greatest need was to experience the grace of God. And then the other, he, and he got healed. His leprosy was healed. But if we receive the grace of God, then whatever that flaw is, whatever that thing is ruining our life, even if that diagnosis is still bad, even if the deal doesn't go through, you know, you, the answer to your prayer doesn't seem to be coming, you have Jesus. You have eternal life. And is that enough for you? And that's when you're not going to be tossed back and forth between God on the shelf and then God in my life. It's, it's just, I have him. I've experienced his grace and that's enough. And today we need to receive that grace. And I'll pray with you in a moment. We'll do that. Uh, but the second thing is, not only do you need Jesus, but everybody needs Jesus. And the people in your everyday need Jesus. No matter how confident and put together they are, there is that thing in their life that's going to ruin it too. And it just took this, for Naaman, it just took this little girl. A little girl who was kidnapped, a little girl who was enslaved, but it took a little girl who understood the grace of God to point this great man to, to the grace of God. That's where this all started. This is very unlikely. That anyone from Aram would, would go to Israel for help is unlikely. That a, a little servant slave girl could influence a great man is very unlikely. But you see people in your everyday, so these people will never come to faith in Jesus. But they all need him. And you could be that little slave girl who just plants the seed. We could tell people about Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we, I, we come to you today, and I pray, if there's anybody in this room who's felt that, you're on the shelf. Somehow, you're going to somehow um, use you or... or do something great for you to receive your grace. I pray that right now they would just turn to you and say, God, I'm at the end of myself. I can never do it myself. And I pray for your grace. I pray for the grace of Jesus. Just wash me. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, wash me and make me new and bring me that life that only you can bring, that eternal life. And Lord, the other things that weigh me down, I, I lift them before you and I pray your healing in those things. But I thank you that in whatever I face, that I'm in your hand and nothing can take me from that place, Lord. And Father, we pray for all those who, who need that same grace. Lord, give us the words, give us the actions to love well in your name, to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.